Milan arrived in, uh, in the States safely. It's good to have uh, Peter and Alison Warren back from visiting their daughter in, uh, in the UK. And David Reese and his wife, uh, David Reese is part of Africa Enterprise, so I'm sure people who know African Enterprise will know David well. So it's great to have you visiting uh, in Gillets. Uh, you've come to a wonderful part of the world, to, to house at a house. So just a, a, a warm welcome. It's just, it's just always such a joy to, to worship. And I heard the worship team practicing, how great is our God? And I thought, when we sing that, we're going to lift the roof off this building. When we focus on, on how great our God is, that is uh, a, a turning point in our days. Uh, I, I, I did a silly thing this morning. Before coming to church, I switched on to News 24. I looked at, a, at, an, at an article there, and you kind of, you just kind of get down when you, when you see stuff that they're trying to implement, and you, and you can easily get down. And, and I've been preaching in the last few weeks that, on that we're seated in heavenly places. And we have to set our minds, we have to make a concerted effort to set our minds on Jesus and bringing His presence into our lives and bringing hope and joy. That was the, the amazing thing of a million or so people going to Bloemfontein to pray. That makes a difference in our nation. Our hope is in Jesus. And so I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck in Colossians chapter 3, verses about 1 to 8, 1 to 9. I've only got to uh, verse 4 in the last couple of weeks, but maybe I'll get to verse 5 today. In Psalm 16, verse 2, it says, David makes this declaration. What does he say? He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. I fear that if I was honest with myself and we were honest with uh, each other, we would realize there are a number of things in our lives which we would consider good that bring no, bear no resemblance to our relation to Jesus. What this Colossian scripture is, is it's about Jesus. Your life is about Jesus. Do you know that? We have to be Christocentric. We have to, Christ has to be the center. I want to read the scripture because the scripture speaks itself and teaches itself. And if I stick to scripture, then we're not going to go wrong. So Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. 
that opening statement which says, if then you have been raised with Christ, parallels a scripture a little bit earlier. In uh, Colossians 2 verse 20, it says, if, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit, submit to regulations? So you and I have died. I want you to know that when Christ died, it was beautiful seeing those crosses at Bloemfontein, those three crosses. We died with Jesus on the cross. That's what the scripture says about you and I. We have died. When Christ died, we died. And we need to be Christ-centered in everything that we do. And I'm talking to myself here. You know, this is, when I say we, I'm actually saying me. Because everything only makes sense when our lives are wrapped up in Jesus, when our identity, when our relationships, when our lives flow out of the fullness of God. We are with Him in His death. We are with Him in His resurrection. We are with Him in His rising. And indeed, as verse 4 says, we are also destined to be with Him in glory when He get, comes again to consummate the earth and bring His kingdom. Bring His kingdom to consummate His kingdom on earth. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come. And I know as we say that and we want to, we want to escape a few things as possibly why are we saying that. We do. But I want Jesus to come now today in my heart, in my life, that I can make a difference wherever I go. So I need to be more full of Jesus. You need to be more full of Jesus because there are people who are dying. There is a lost world out there that doesn't know Jesus that doesn't have the security that you and I have sitting here today. Because we know that Jesus died for us. We know He's our Lord and Savior. There are people who don't know that. Patrick, that's the word that you've got to bring to your community, to Kwan Yuswa. When you go to, uh, you work in tech, you bring Jesus. You bring a different fragrance. You do bring a different aroma. And the Lord's calling you to do that, to be different. To be different. To shine for Jesus. And so all our life is wrapped up in Jesus. If we're united to Jesus, then uh, we have life. In fact, He is our life. Not to be connected or united to Christ by grace alone, through faith, through faith alone, ends all hope of a break with the past, a power for the present, or glory in the future. We have, you know, we talk about rights. You know, I have rights, and, and we don't have any rights. When we, we, we were once slaves to sin, we were slaves to the devil. We, we did the, bed, the devil's bidding, whether we knew it or not. We were slaves. Now what are we slaves? We are slaves to Christ, to His righteousness, you and I can walk in righteousness. We got some good news. We can walk in righteousness. We can walk in Jesus. So we have no claim or no right 
to anything. Even look at it at your own finances. What right do you have to that? You know, some people argue. There's, there's always debate about, you know, should you tithe? And then the question is, well, do you tithe on your gross or on your net? I know the robber used to always say, well, you want to be blessed on, on, which one do you want to be blessed on? The net or the gross? Well, tithe on the gross. But in actual fact, all our money belongs to him, the whole lot. And maybe the question, we should change the question is, is how much, Lord, do you, do you want me to keep? How many, you know, how, not, I prefer the Old Testament. The Old Testament says 10%. The Old Testament says uh, uh, you must not co- commit adultery. The New Testament says if I look with lust at a woman, I've committed adultery. So the Old Testament is a little bit easier. A little bit easier. So my life, I want my life to be wrapped up in Jesus' uh, life. I want my goals and my aims and my vision for my life to be his vision for my life. Wherever it is, so whether I'm a teacher or whether I'm a managing director or a state agent, whatever it is, God has plans and purposes for you, and that's where you're meant to be at this stage of your life. So what kind of goals does uh, Jesus have for us? What's precious and dear to Jesus? Because that's what should be precious and dear to me. What is alien and offensive to him? Because what offends Jesus, what gets him, should get us, should affect us in the same way. So if I'm heavenly minded, if I'm seated in heavenly places, as the scripture Colossians says, and that's where we are, we're seated in heavenly places, we're going to have a different perspective in life. Our lives will be radically different. Our lives will be radically otherworldly. We will be radically sin-denying, radically Christ-affirming. John Piper always says that. That that our lives would would, would just affirm Christ in everything that we do. We would bring glory to His name. Whether it's standing up here in front leading worship or it's at at the workplace. We would bring glory to His name. The things that are above are where we're meant to be focused. And who is above? Who is seated at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. So we need to be concerned with, with what He's doing. And if we walk in that, if, if, we, if I live in that, if I live in, 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 in Him, then the the promise of Scripture is He gives me everything. And much more than I deserve. A whole lot more. But if I don't live in Him, if my life is not hidden in Him, all those things won't satisfy. They won't bring me contentment. They won't bring me peace. I won't be satisfied. Because I can only be satisfied when I'm in Him. So maybe the question we have to ask ourselves and. Maybe you should write this down. What are the things that distract you 
which are other world with which are other world which are worldly, not other worldly, which are worldly. What are those things which take up your time and your energy, which you are so concerned about, you're so worried about, you're consumed by, you can't see anything else? What are those? Because those need to be taken to Jesus. He's the only one who's going to let those, who's going to make a difference in those areas. Your life today is hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ. What does that mean? If you don't have life, that means your, your life is exposed and you're very vulnerable. But if you have Jesus, you have safety and security. He's got the whole world in his hands. The whole world. He's got your life in his hands. He's got my life in his hands. So it's just so wonderful that our lives are hidden in Jesus. You know, some people say, Ah, yes, my life is hidden in God. But without Christ. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. They envision themselves as being religious, as being spiritual. But we need Christ. We need our lives to be hidden in, in God and Christ. Your life is only hidden in God if it's in Christ. The gospel is offensive because it's, it's directly down the line. There can be no other name of, in, on heaven and earth by which you can be saved. No other name. Isn't that... Sometimes I think, you know, I like to be politically correct very often. I, like to, I don't like to fluff anybody's feathers. I, I, I want to do it every day. I want to, be, I want to be nice. I'm British, you know. I want to be nice. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to sing and get along and, and be nice. But Jesus doesn't do that. He came and he, and he, and he said... Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's it. That's it. Take that to the world. They're going to they're stone us. They're going to say we're uh, narrow-minded, etc., etc. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. They need to know the truth. So your life is hidden in Christ. That, what that doesn't mean is that you hide your your life. Every now and again you pop up <laughs> and you might say something about Jesus, but, but you don't want to be too you quickly get back and you hid. You hide, we hide. Our life is not to be hidden like that. What did Jesus say? He's called you and I to be the salt. He's called you and I to be the light. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. You know, I was, I mean, I think I was so privileged in the, in the time that I was brought up. Before Xbox and uh, PlayStation, sorry for the younger generation. But when we, we had to go out and play in the garden. 
<laughs> yeah. And but used to, I used to have fun. I remember listening to, to uh, uh, the radio because we didn't have television. No television. Listening to the radio. Listening to a rugby game. And radio is great because it lets your imagination. And I was Money Keys Roo. Catching the ball. Ah, that's, that's who I was. You know, I was playing and, you know, having fun listening. That's uh, that. Nowadays, they, they don't have that, that, that thing. Just so privileged to be built, brought up in this time. Maybe, you know, we had comics. That was like kind of the... Uh, <laughs> Superman. Superman comics. When you think of Superman... We all wanted to be Superman. You know, when the, somebody was in distress, you would be there and you would save the day. And, oh, yay. And so I was quite uh, enamored with Clark Kent, who's this guy who, nine to five, was quite conservative, a bit nerdish, had big black rim glasses like I have. <laughs> I just suddenly realized that as I was talking. Oh. <laughs> How fashion changes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, fashion, uh, a fashion statement. But kind of, uh, just kind of very nerdish. And every now and again there would be some crime and, and he would take off his jacket and put on his, his Superman suit and he would be there, the rector, and, and, the, and, and to the rescue and, and everything would be happy. And, and then he would go back to being his mild-mannered, hidden Hidden in Jesus, hidden in Jesus, hidden in Jesus. We're not supposed to be hidden in Jesus. We must, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be uh, on a hill. We're supposed to be set up on a hill so that people can see. The problem is that they might take pot shots at you, but that's fine. That's my exercise. I don't have to play tennis to that to the afternoon. So we're not supposed to shrink back. Oh, we didn't put time. We're all right. Let me just have some water there. So, so this beautiful scripture, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, suddenly takes a turn in verse 5. After who we are in Jesus, our position, suddenly it says, put to death, therefore. What is earthly in you? And it goes and lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. A Puritan theologian, John Owen, 1683. This is what he said about this verse. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. 
good advice or a melodramatic overreaction. I think uh, in the Christian world, probably sadly today, people think it's a bit of an overreaction. But this is what the Scripture says. I just wonder whether we read Scripture sometimes. Well, we might read it, but what, we read it and then put it away. And that's, that's, I've done my Scripture reading for the day. But Scripture is meant to change our hearts and our lives, the way we think. And so the Scripture says, put to death. Put to death. When it comes to the seeker-friendly ministries, and I don't want to, I mean, everybody has a different way of doing things, but it can be, there's a fine line between preaching the gospel and licensing people to live in sin. So Paul's attitude is different. What does he say? He says, kill it, put it to death, execute it. Don't let it live another second. Take whatever steps necessary to eliminate it from your lives. Tolerate no compromise. Take no prisoners. Deal ruthlessly and radically with it, no matter how small or insignificant it might be. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. This is after this wonderful few verses of 1 to 4 where he's saying, oh, we all live in heavenly places and it's beautiful. Now he's saying, because of that, because of that, we only have two options when it comes to dealing with sin. We can be reckless or we can be ruthless. There's no middle ground. We have to ruthlessly put to death anything in our lives which is contrary to the will of God. And if we have the Spirit of Christ living in us, He will show us. He will show us where we're going wrong. And then we, we have an advocate who's always there ready when we, when we mess up, when we, when we sin, we can repent. Repentance is changing our minds, changing our, changing our way. As we change our minds, we change how we walk. How we walk. So we call to, call to, to repent. You know, there's no uh, holiday. There's no holiday. You can't take time off. Okay, I'm not going to worry about sin. I mean, Jesus, full of the Spirit, baptized, full of the Spirit. What does the Lord say? He says, this is my beloved Son I'm well pleased with. He's led by the Spirit into the desert, into temptation, into testing, into time of testing. And he, how does he respond to that? He responds by saying, it is written in the Scripture. It is written in the Scripture. It's written in the Scripture. We need to be full of the Scripture because we're going to be tempted and tested and we need to respond correctly. And then he wins the battle and it says something along the lines that the devil left him until another opportune time. It wasn't, wasn't okay, well, that's it. He's won the battle. It's not that we, you and I have a battle every day to, to live according to the Spirit, to put to death the works of the flesh. From a point of, we are holy, we are righteous. As, I, as Jonathan gets up in the morning and he looks in the mirror, he looks in the mirror and he, sees, and he sees a holy person, he sees a righteous person, he sees somebody 
<laughs> that's, 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 the, that's what the scriptures say about us. Our position is secure. But as we, as we believe that and walk in that and do that, we'll actually, what we'll find is we won't fulfill the desires of the, of the flesh. We will fulfill the desires of the Spirit. Grace is the most amazing message. Because we are saved by grace through faith. No other way. We can't boast in it. I can't say, well, I did this, I did that, or, so I deserve that. No. We're just saved by grace by what Jesus did on the cross. And that's why we're coming to the table just now. Grace enables you to say no to sin. The law requires, but grace enables. And so we have this, I was talking with Jonathan a few days ago, indicative imperative, and you can tell I'm not an English student. Uh, but I was trying to, trying to get it in my, in my mind what it all, what it all means. But, Coloss- but the whole of the book of Colossians up to, up to this point is, who, is, my, is about identity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you want to experience some glory? Well, Christ in you. You know, the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We were made for glory. We were made to carry glory. And so, if, uh, in this scripture it says, the indicative statement describes believers in Christ. This is what they are, verse 3. They are dead. They are raised with Christ. They are with Christ in heaven. They are hidden with Christ. They have taken off the old self. They have put on the new self. The imperative statements indicate what believers are to do as a result of that. What are we to do because we are saved? We are to set our minds on things above. Put to death the practices that belong to the earthly nature and rid themselves of practices that are characterized by the unregenerate self. In summary, we are called upon to become in daily experience, what we are in Jesus. So, we, I'm holy, I am righteous in Jesus. As I walk out this walk, and as I walk that out on a day-to-day basis, that's what I'm going to be. You and I are holy. You and I are saints. Sounds hangover arrogant. Saint, Zol- Saint Zolani has a nice ring to it. But that's who he is. Saint TK at the top there. Yeah. Why? Because we're in Christ. Our lives are hidden in Christ. Wow, I'm skipping a lot here. Skipping more, sorry. (laughs) True mortification. In the context of Colossians 3.5. Has to do with the transformation of the will. A new attitude of the mind. We need that. We need a new mind. New thought processes. 
How does one ruthlessly deal with sin? McLaren uses this analogy. He likens it to a man working at a machine who gets his fingers caught in the roller. And the roller's going. And it's going to take the whole arm and in a few minutes he would be flattened, a bloody flattened mess. But there's an axe. And he cuts his his arm off. Isn't there a movie about that? Somebody got caught in a mountain in the rock. And he, had to, he, had to, he had to saw his, his arm off. But that's kind of the analogy that uh, uh, Paul is drawing here. That Paul is trying to get us to. Cut it off. If it's not going to be helpful to you, cut it off. Take, all, take it away. Don't do what, what's causing you to stumble and fall. Eliminate it from your life as much as possible. Anything that will cause you to stumble. If it's a place, don't go there. Alcoholics know the pub is not a good place to go and fellowship with, with friends. If it's an image, turn away from it. If it's a song, don't listen to it. If it's a book, don't read it. If it's a, a person, part company. The sacrifice may be uncomfortable and even painful. And it most certainly will be unpopular. But it's better that you lose a little bit than the whole. What did Jesus say? It's better that you lose one of your members than than your whole body be thrown into hell. Quite fierce. Why do we need to put to death the things, these evil things that he, that he talks about. Because the wrath of God is going to be revealed against those things. That was why Jesus had to come and die on a cross. Because he was, sin had to be dealt with. And the wrath of God is going to come against people who do these things. So we need our lives to be hidden in Jesus. We need, we need to be preaching the gospel because you don't want to... F- fall into the hands of an angry God. You don't want to have not believed. You don't want to have not put your trust in Jesus. So it's because of the wrath of God. We don't, I want to please Jesus. I want my life to be a, a wonderful, fragrant offering to Him that, that, that I do things that bring Him glory, that bring Him, him, him praise, that, that, that just celebrate Him. So that's one of the reasons why we should do away with all this stuff. And the other one is that's what we used to walk in. And there we have to realize once we were lost, once we, were, we needed a savior, once we did some of, these, some of this stuff, once we were impure, we were led by our passions, once we walked in anger, we walked in wrath, that's what we're used to. We have changed. You are a new creation. I am a new creation. And so we need God's grace. We need God's mercy. We're coming to the table now. We need His grace to live the life that He's called us to. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. We have everything we need to live a life of God, godliness, to enable us to, to live a, 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 a life which brings honor to Jesus which is pleasing to Him. So where does that energy 
and incentive come from for such a life? Where do we get the energy and the incentive for that? Colossians 3. From meditating on the majesty of being raised with Christ. From fixing our souls on the splendor of His exaltation. From celebrating our concealment in Jesus. From the joyful expectation of experiencing His glory when He comes. In, to sum it up. Enjoyment empowers effort. If I'm enjoying God, I'm empowered. Pleasure in God is the power for purity. I think that was John Piper. Pleasure in God is the power for purity. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the table today. If I can ask the worship team to come up. We, we, we thank you that you are the, the center of our lives. That we come today to the table of mercy, not just to have our sins forgiven. That, that's, that happens. Not just, you know, just, Lord, we come that at the cross we are empowered by your resurrection. So we remember your death, your burial, your resurrection. We rejoice in that. We come with thanksgiving. I want us to come up jobuluing and thanksgiving that Jesus is the center of our lives. That we have hope and we have a hope for our nation. We've got a hundred people here. So we can make a difference in our nation. Just us. Just us. And so we come to the table and I thank you for the bread. Thank you that your body was broken, that we might have life. Thank you for the blood which washes us. Dear Jesus. So come. Come to the table of mercy.